the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This program is sponsored by Care Portal. It's time for counterculture. Are you tired of how divided we are? Let's find the peacemakers. Think everyone is mean and selfish? Let's talk to those who are helping us all be more loving and caring. Think our culture is going downhill? Let's meet those who are helping us flourish. And now your host, Jonathan Sanborn. Well, hello, everybody. Thank you for joining us. I'm Jonathan Sanborn, and this is Counterculture, where in a divided world, peacemaking is a revolutionary act, and we are called to be peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. Uh, so I'm really excited that you can be t- you're tuning in and that we have uh, this opportunity to talk about something maybe is, it is a little off the beaten path. And so in studio today, I have a Joshua Dubois with me. Pastor, Pastor Josh, I guess, is what would you, would you answer to that? Uh, Josh is fine. Pastor, okay, just Josh. Okay. He's all cash. He's, he's cool about this. So Josh and I have, become, have known each other for several years. And Josh, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, again, my name is Joshua Dubois. Uh, I am a family minister at the Mesa Church of Christ. I've been there for roughly four years now. Uh, I have a background in Bible. My bachelor's is in Bible from Fried Hardeman University, and I also have a degree in marriage and family therapy. It's a master's, and I'm a doctoral candidate for marriage and family therapy and community care and counseling. So I work full-time at the Mesa Church of Christ, and then I work part-time at Professional Counseling Associates as a therapist. That's kind of my professional nutshell. Uh, However, I am married with my lovely wife, Diamond, and I have two young children, London and Gavin. I'm a little biased because your wife is an amazing singer. Even though I haven't met her, uh, she sounds pretty awesome. She is awesome. So that's fantastic. So you're 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 both a full-time counselor and family minister, Correct. Correct. Okay, that is fantastic. So, thank you for sharing about your your ministry and what you what you hear. And uh, so, to start off our show, we thought we we start with what I call fake news. Okay. And so, you're going to say something true about yourself, and something that's not true about yourself. And I I'm going to guess which one is fake news. So, mm-hmm. given what I what what I know, I'm going to try to guess. So, why don't you start? What what is what's fake news for you? All right. What isn't? No, you start off with fake news. Which what's? All right. So. Um, let's see. I used to play basketball with LeBron James, and I am a previous Olympic skating, ice skating gold medalist. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay. So <laughs> I was not expecting the ice skating thing. That just seems so preposterous. But you're a pretty fit dude. You're like, so there's a, you, you, you have athletic abilities. Yes. But the, if I would have put gold medalist on your resume. <laughs> so I'm going to say you played basketball with LeBron James is true and ice skating is fake news. That is correct. Oh, Mike. OK. 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 That's, I, I, so tell me the story of, Le, of playing basketball with LeBron. Well, we were young and I was 
enrolled in a league called the Ed Davis Community Center, and I played basketball in my younger years, and LeBron was there. He was a couple years younger than me, and we would see each other from time to time and have a few scrimmage games uh, within the community league, and he was a beast. (laughs) He was really great back then as he is now. Um, And you see where my profession led me, so let you know how good I was. (laughs) You help people who got, you know, Schooled by LeBron right. James, right? So I did some like trauma counseling. Trauma counseling, after yes. He crossed them a few times. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Exactly. Wow. Well, what a great experience. A good like, who do I? You know, that's a great person to, to name drop. That's yes, that's super cool. Okay, so if you went like backstage at a at a game at a NBA game, could he would he recognize you? Oh, uh, he would probably just give me a good head nod. Hey, what's up? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's that's cool. <laughs> very cool. <laughs> so, the, well, the reason we have Josh uh, in studio with us is because not only does he he's just an awesome guy, and I'd love to have a great conversation with him, but he is has modeled something that uh, of, he's living out something that needs to happen far more in our culture than it is happening. Now, now Josh is an African American pastor, and he he works in a almost predominantly almost completely white church. And so I'd like to know your story of how you've chosen to kind of step out of of where where you're – yeah, why don't you start with you telling me your story and then where you got to where you are. All right. It's a long story. I'll try to make it somewhat short. So initially I knew that I wanted to be in ministry. I had a sort of a life-changing experience where – I met Jesus in a place where I was I was down. I was in a place of rebellion, a place of sin, and he met me there. And once I accepted his his grace, his mercy, his love, submitted to his will for my life, I then decided, well, what better way to give back to to God, not that he needs anything from me, but what better way to show my dedication and commitment to him than going into the ministry? So my initial idea was I'll go get a degree in Bible and I'll be a pulpit preacher, pulpit minister for a local and church. And where in the U.S. is this? Uh, so initially this was in Akron, Ohio. Then I okay. moved to Tennessee okay. to finish my degree in Bible. Uh, after obtaining my degree, it was through the during the recession. So there wasn't a lot of churches that were hiring at the time and I was recommended to get a degree in marriage and family therapy. So my livelihood isn't solely dependent on the church. So that was kind of just kind of okay. an afterthought. Um, but going back to ministry, Freed Hardeman was a, and is a predominantly white university, Christian university. And I'm from the inner city of Akron, Ohio. And I never had really been exposed to uh, the, the majority culture, right. at least not to that extent. And my idea was going into ministry and getting a degree in Bible that this is going to be an awesome experience where yes. it's a campus full of Christians, full of believers. Right. And I soon realized that even as Christians, even as believers and followers of Christ, we still have our prejudices. We still sure. have our biases. We still have our stereotypes that we that we give into. And it, it helped me to know that something was missing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, during that time, I worked with a predominantly black church um, that was considered out in the country as I was getting my degree in Bible. Uh, and then after obtaining my degree, my wife and I moved to Mississippi. And in Mississippi, we worked with a church called the Bypass Church of Christ. And this church had the dynamic that my wife and I were longing for. It was a truly integrated church in the South. So we're talking about 
black and white elders, black and white preachers, black and white members. And I'm using black mm. and white because that's the dynamic sure. of that particular culture. Right. And it was the most loving experience, the most loving wow. church I've ever mm. had a relationship with mm. and worked with. And to see that um, and experience that, the desire of my wife and I was to, to integrate the churches. Mm. And whatever that meant, however that had to happen, we were willing to, to press forward and endure. Uh, things changed when we were in Mississippi. My wife ended up getting um, sick, and it was just really hard trying to financially provide with her not being able to work. Right. So mm. we wanted to move closer to home. But there was a church in Arizona that reached out and said, hey, we, we see your credentials. Uh, we see your, your areas of expertise. We really need someone to focus in on our families here at, at the Mesa Church. And my initial thought was, there's no way I'm going to Arizona when we're trying right. to get closer to Ohio. Right. So um, did a little bit of research with the church, talked to a few people, and we said, well, you know, if this is God's will for our life, then we'll, we'll go according to his will. This was about four, five years ago? How, how long ago? Almost five years Almost ago. Almost five years ago. Yes, sir. Okay. So my wife and I, we prayed a lot. We prayed with the elders at the Bypass Church and uh, just did a lot of deliberation. And we decided that, okay, well, this is probably where God wants us. All signs are pointing that way. So we took the, took the call to come yeah. out to Mesa, Arizona. So tr- you truly sense that this is God's calling on your life to come into oh, this sure. environment. Absolutely. Definitely. Okay. We knew nothing about Arizona, had never been to Arizona, didn't know anything about the culture, the demographics, nothing. Totally going in blind. Right. We just knew that there was God's people there and they needed to be ministered to. And so we answered. It's, it's no big deal. It's just dry heat, right? <laughs> just dry heat. <laughs> just dry heat. And yeah. We came out of the humidity. So yeah. okay, know, right. this is way different. <laughs> it's very different. No matter what they say. <laughs> For those of you just tuning in, this is Counterculture with Jonathan Sanborn. Thank you. We are talking about – that one of the biggest divides in our culture today, uh, the racial divide. Uh, we have, we've made progress in 200 years, but we have so much f- further to go. And uh, we are here with uh, Pastor Joshua Dubois, and he's sharing his experience. So now here you are in Arizona. You come into this church. And so it's just been smooth sailing, and you've, you've brought everyone, everyone's come together. Wait, you're smiling here. <laughs> yeah, it's like heaven on earth. Heaven on earth. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, not not quite that smooth of a transition. Uh, I will say that the fact that I am a black minister at a predominantly white church in this day and age, it's it's a sad reality that shouldn't be. We should be much. We should have progressed much further than where we are now. But this is where we are. But the the to know that this is where they wanted to go. To know that. They had the forethought and the progressiveness to say, hey, we're ready for a, a black minister. And maybe they didn't say that, you know. They didn't say that in part of the. Right, right. Yeah. Just the fact that knowing that they were ready um, at least to do something they haven't done before. Right. And right. so I said, okay, let's do it. And we've been there now for four years. And I will say that we've experienced the same love there that we experienced in Mississippi. Mm. However, there were some things that we did not know we were going to experience. There are a lot of uh, prejudices and biases that uh, my wife and I had to to challenge. 
um, just my very nature. I'm a very transparent guy, and some will say I'm a little conflictive, <laughs> a little challenging. <laughs> yeah. So I don't uh-huh. I don't sweep things under the rug. I'm pretty upfront and, and forward, you know, with things that I see, things that I observe. But it's in the spirit of love, and so. Right. There are times where we had to address political divides. There are times where I've had to address um, insensitivities when it came to ethnicity and those who were marginalized. And I will say I'm still there. So people are are willing to be influenced. People there are willing right. to listen and willing to have the hard conversations in order to establish a more you know godly relationship, uh, not only with me but also with the community. Some people think there, it's just skin color and there's just difference. But, but there's a whole cultural story oh, sure. and a whole lot of di- other differences that people can divide over even in the middle of a racial conversation. Right. right. So for instance, you're talking about socioeconomic divides. We're talking about education divides. We're talking about political divides, gender divides, sexuality yes. divides. So there's a lot of ways that we divide ourselves. Um, but – the one thing that gives me confidence about the Lord's church is that in the midst of our differences, there's unity. And I think mm. that's what God has always expected out of mature believers. You know, he says that there is no longer Jew, Gentile, slave, nor free for mm. all are one in Christ Jesus. So God has never intended it to be a monoethnic congregation. Right. You know, he's always intended his church to be to be diverse, mm. a diverse community of believers. How is this lack of – I mean diversity is a big term in our culture. We talk a lot about that. That sounds great. But why is it still so hard to be diverse in the church? Oh, that's a long, long uh, question. <laughs> that's a, I know, I know. But Well, I would say just casually thinking about this idea of diversity and the struggles. Well, I, I think the reality is that – we haven't really taken hold to New Testament Christianity. And and it's not to say that people aren't genuine and people aren't authentic and committed in their faith. It's to say that Jesus has called us to a radical way of living as Christians. Um, He's called us into countering our culture and the norms that we have Mm -hmm. grown up with and that we have come to to build upon. So, for instance, you know, there, there's these ideas um, of social injustice. There's these ideas of systemic racism, systemic oppression. Until some of these conversations are had, it's going to be really hard for us to move forward. Um, and so you're using a, t- a term that's really important because you talked – a lot of Christians, white Christians might often use the term, I'm not racist. I'm not. I'm a nice guy. I have a black friend, or I have, you know, we use that term of individual racism. But you talk about systemic racism. Tell me, can you just explain that a little more? Yeah, systemic racism is to say that there are certain systems that have been put in place before our time. So we're talking about maybe 100, 200, 300 years ago, where maybe you are not individually participating in racism, but in some way, shape, or form, you are um, you're you're living within a system that was founded on racist principles, mm-hmm. you know. And so, to live in that system, you unknowingly endorse, encourage, and keep the system going. Right, if that makes sense. And so, this is then system is a big term. So it's not just political, like just the. We think of Washington, D.C. as the system. But this is also 
economics and business, like access to loans, where your house is located. Could you explain – like redlining? Redlining, sure, sure. So there was a time in our history where certain neighborhoods were were literally redlined that were considered to be predominantly black, predominantly poor. And so when someone was interested in a home, if they were white, the the realtors will – push them away from these homes that were redlined and put them in more suburban communities and therefore just continuing the systemic oppression and, and poverty um, of, of the minority culture. So if there were blacks looking for, for homes, they would show them homes that were within these conf- redlined confinements, right? So you're keeping people in a system of, of poverty, a system of oppression and it makes it really hard for them to get out of and get out of. And then, for instance, we're not even going back to home loans. We're not talking about VA loans. We're not talking right. about education benefits for for veterans. You know, so there's a, a lot of other systems that are in play here that are keeping society divided. And we haven't even touched on propaganda and media. <laughs> propaganda, media, and then the justice system, sure. disproportionality. In, in in sentencing and and in, the, in child welfare, there's just there's so much that that is systemic, that is that it's 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 in, it's kind of baked in racism. Yes. So how what what can we do about that? What are some things that like practically if because let's just let's just say we accept the premise and I and I do and, and it's and it's it's come to, when I've listened and learned over the last couple of decades I've seen this is real this is true but oftentimes I don't. Because it, it doesn't hurt me, or I don't, I don't sense it, so I don't need to worry about it. But what can we do as the church to help talk about systemic racism? Sure. So, so first, I would say that looking at the twelve apostles, twelve disciples of Jesus, right? He brought together a group of people who would not normally or usually communicate and fellowship and live life with one mm-hmm. another. So you had fishermen, you had Matthew who was a tax collector, you had Simon the, the, the zealot, you had Judas who was a thief. So he brought these people together with these different different diverse backgrounds and he created a family, you know, mm-hmm. with these people. And so I think that's a model that we need to we need to follow. So Jesus was a, a bridge builder. He brought people together who wouldn't usually choose one another. So I believe that true Christianity will, number one, take us out of our comfort zone, help us to counterculture, and push us towards radical change. Mm. So let me give you some practical measures that Good. we can take. So Good. let's say Love four it. E's for uh, bridge. I, you're, you're preaching now. I'm I ready. Am, I'm ready. <laughs> four, four E's for building okay. bridges. <laughs> Alliteration too. Woo. Yeah. I love it. My okay. wife would, would be laughing right now. She probably is. <laughs> okay. All right. Number one, examine. I would examine. say in order for us to be more unified and to buffer against this divide, we have to examine our biases and prejudices and stereotypes. Yep. And this is on all ends for all demographics, right? So we all come with our preconceived ideas about race, about people, um, about politics, about poverty, and being willing to examine what those biases are and acknowledge that they're there. We mm-hmm. all have them. I have them. Yep. Yes. Yep. I and for sure. I have things I'm totally blind to. Sure. Mm-hmm. So once we become aware of what they are, then we can challenge them. So mm-hmm. we don't have to sit in our biases and, and, and live life according to those. Right. So examine your biases, prejudices, and challenge them. Good. All right. So that's the first E. The second E is, is be enlightened. Enlightened. Yeah. So get educated. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so many times I have become the spokesperson of all black people. <laughs> I, right. I do not want that no. responsibility. No, because too, I can't right. speak for all black people. No. I, only, I can only speak for me right. in my experience. So right. I would say get enlightened. And this comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 9 when Paul says, To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law. Uh, that I may win those under the law. To the weak I became weak, that I may win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that I may save some. And in order for Paul to do that, he had to walk a razor's edge. He had to be committed to understanding Mm -hmm. the culture and the Mm -hmm. lifestyle of the people that he was going to interact with and look for ways and opportunities to appreciate that culture. Mm. So be enlightened with people who are different from you, who Mm. look different, who think different, uh, who believe a different um, philosophy of of life or religion or political stance. You have to get uncomfortable to expect that, though. Yes, sir. Right. Yes, sir. Good. All right. The third E, empathize. Empathize. Paul says again in 1 Corinthians, if one part suffers, referring to the body of the church, if one person suffers, then everyone suffers with it. Amen. If one Mm. part is honored, every part rejoices with it. The reality is Hearing is healing. Um, There are people in this country who have suffered greatly due to the color of their skin, you know, due to their sexual orientation, uh, due to their their education or poverty level, things that some some of these things that were outside of their control. So being willing to to empathize, uh, being willing to enter into their shoes and see life through their lens, it doesn't mean that you agree with it. It right. doesn't mean that you endorse it or accept everything that they that they have to say, but at least be willing to listen and to listen to understand. Absolutely, without passing judge, le- sure. listening first before yeah. Yes. Good. So listen before you lecture. Listen before you lecture. Good. And the last one, number four, is expand. Expand your interpersonal circle. If we're being honest with ourselves and we look at our fellowship, so when we look at Sunday morning worship service, I know it's a little different now because of the virus, but the reality is if we have the choice to be among people who look, think, and act like us, we choose to do that. We will do that. So we have to be willing to expand our interpersonal circle of influence and purposefully reaching out to people who don't look like us, people who mm. don't think like us, and building a relationship that way. That's fantastic. I, when I came back from overseas, God really challenged me that, to get out of my culture uh, and I was just – because I was just around a lot of white people. And so I ended up attending an all, an all African-American church in South Phoenix for more than a year and that, tra- that really changed the course of my life. And I still have friends there to this day. The choir sang at my wedding. And uh, just love it, was, it changed the trick and opened my eyes a lot. But it takes people to step out like you have from your comfort zone. You went to you moved into another state, and now you're from a, a nice maybe an area where you're, it was very balanced in your ch- a church that was very integrated to a church that maybe you were definitely a, a minority. Sure. And you how and you've taken that a courageous step, but that's uh, but you you chose to, but. Excellent. So say those four just because I love love repetition. All right. Four E's for building bridges. Examine, enlighten, empathize, and expand. So I think this is also going to happen to attend other churches. It's going to happen when we have dinner and have meals with people who are different than us. And it can happen when we listen. My hope for the show is that we can learn to listen to people, maybe challenge us a little bit, maybe make us uncomfortable. That's the only way we're ever going to grow if, if, is if we're challenged. And so I really appreciate uh, some of the, your points and the, some of the things that you're bringing up. And not just you're, – you're not, you're not talking academically here. You're talking from your 
heart and from your life and from Scripture. Yes. You're orienting your, your actions and your word, your life around, around, his, around his word. And I uh, really appreciate you, you sharing your story here. So, so to, to go back, what has been like probably the biggest like roadblock, like the, the challenge that's prevented all this kind of from being – what ultimately gets us in the uh, – prevents us from doing these four E's? No. Oh. I think going back to what's comfortable, mm-hmm. going back to what's normal for us, uh, when we think about – for me personally, being a therapist, when I think about a family in dysfunction <clears throat> and trying to get a family out of that dysfunction, they may comply with intervention you know, for a short amount of time, but then just to see them go back into the dysfunction. And the reality is we are we're creatures of habit. You know, we want what's comfortable. So if there's too much conflict, mm-hmm. we may retreat. You know, we may go back to something that, that's normal. So I would say realizing that being, being comfortable and being uncomfortable would be the, the best way to approach this. And, and some of these roadblocks, I think right now, probably the biggest roadblock is media. Media yeah. reinforces our biases, reinforces our prejudices and stereotypes. And it it divides us. Absolutely. And if we're not intentional about what we put in our hearts, that's what the scripture says. Guard your hearts for from it comes the issues of life. So our behavior is guided by what's in our heart. So we have a responsibility to guard our hearts. Fantastic. That's so true. It's, that's a great assessment. We should check our hearts if we're comfortable. We're probably not where God wants us. Without sure. faith, it is impossible to please God. And, with, and uh, be, when we get out of our comfort zone, that's when we really have to trust in him and his strength and his power. Thank you again, Josh. This has been a great conversation. For Thank you for joining us at Counterculture. And I love what you had to say. It's, it continues to uh, – it feeds my soul and I hope it helps. It was encouraging for you listening on the radio tonight, uh, this afternoon. So it's been Funky Friday uh, with Counterculture with Jonathan Sanborn. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening today. Counterculture is made possible by Care Portal, helping local churches help children and families in crisis. Sign up you and your church today at careportal.org. This program was sponsored by Care Portal. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.